0: If you were to close your eyes and think about mental health, who do you see? For a long time, a black person didn't show up if I thought about mental health. And so when you even think about that, just from a historical perspective, it's easy to say that, okay, well, this doesn't pertain to me. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college.
1: Before we get started, just a few notes on today's content. The views expressed here only reflect our opinions and don't represent the CWC or the University of Florida or the mental health professions as a whole. Additionally, some content may be sensitive for students who have experienced trauma Please reach out if you need additional support.
0: In this episode, Dr. Sarah Nash and Erica Long, licensed mental health counselor at the CWC, discuss mental health in the Black community.
1: Hi, my guest today is Erica Long, who is a licensed mental health counselor at the CWC. Welcome, Erica.
0: Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. What is it we're gonna talk about today, Erica? Today, we're gonna be talking about mental health specifically in the black community, which I think is such an important conversation to have because historically, I don't think that it's gotten this um, spotlight that it deserves. So I'm so excited to be able to have this conversation with you.
1: I'm so excited too. And I appreciate you being willing to have it with me as as a person who's white. As a counselor who's white and I know that even cross cultural conversations like this can be uncomfortable and I really appreciate you
0: being willing to share. I trust there's a lot of value in what you have to say. Thank you and you're right these types of conversations can be uncomfortable. They can be awkward at times but definitely necessary. So I'm glad that we t- can come together even though we have different backgrounds, different experiences and talk about mental health in the black community. So I'm looking forward to this.
1: Thank you. So where where should we start? So I did not grow up in a black community, obviously, uh, but, but you did and uh, I wonder if you could just kind of talk about generally how is mental health viewed in The Black community in your experience. And I know that's really important to you as you're speaking from your experience in this conversation.
0: Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I do want to make sure that I really highlight the fact that I'm speaking from my experience as a Black woman, a Black clinician who has worked with Black students. And so Today, it's just going to be coming from that lens. I'm not necessarily trying to be the spokesperson for all Black people. But I do believe that there are going to be Black people who are listening to this who can relate to my experiences. So going back to your question, for me, mental health wasn't really discussed when I was coming up. It wasn't a conversation that we had. And I don't necessarily think that it was avoided. It was just something that I guess we felt like wasn't necessarily needed to talk about. For me, growing up in regards to mental health, the only idea I had of it was what I saw portrayed on the TV, you know, in Hollywood. So generally that was someone either laying down on some sort of chair and talking to a psychiatrist or a therapist about what was going on or someone in a mental hospital in a straitjacket. So as you can see, I had very extreme views of mental health. And so that was my experience with that growing up in the black community. Um, Just a lack of information, basically. How did that
1: impact you as you decided to become a counselor yourself?
0: You know that's a really good question. I think I often tell people that counseling chose me. I didn't go out to become a mental health counselor. I was just always that friend from a young, a young age who people would come up and talk to me about what was going on. I, my friends would come and tell me their issues, even when I started working part-time jobs in in stores. Customers would come in and next thing I know they're telling me about what's going on. And so Because of that, I started getting, I guess, more interested in the idea of helping people. And I thought counseling would be a good avenue to do that. And so from there, I want to say like around high school, I started doing some research on counseling. And that's how I ended up deciding to become a mental health counselor. So it was a very good decision for me.
1: How did your family, your community receive your decision if mental health wasn't something that was really openly discussed growing up?
0: I had mixed reactions. I had plenty of family members who were excited and happy for me and very supportive. And then I had some that I wouldn't say that they were not supportive. They were just kind of like, well, what are you going to do with a degree in psychology or counseling? Like, Tell me about that career, you know, Like because they just didn't understand it. And I guess they were also concerned about what type of job prospects I would have if I was going to be a counselor. So for me, I think that I had mixed reviews from my family at the school I went to um, for undergrad. They are um, very well known for their pharmacy program. So I had some family members saying, you know, you, are you sure you want to do counseling? Maybe you should do pharmacy because in their mind, it would have set me up for a more secure and stable career. But, you know, as I continue to just go through and work towards earning those counseling degrees, they start getting more aware, more information about counseling. And now they're all extremely supportive and proud of me.
1: That's lovely. Uh, Can we talk a little bit about going back to mental health not being broadly discussed in the black community
0: why is that this is what i'll say i would encourage you and even our listeners right now if you were to close your eyes and think about mental health who do you see what image comes up for you and that's going to vary depending on you know a lot of different factors I know for me, and again, this is just my personal experience for me for a long time, a black person didn't show up if I thought about mental health. And even if you were to do a Google search and just say mental health clients or mental health in the image section. It's all white people,
1: right? Mostly white ladies too would be my guess. Yeah.
0: Yes. And Historically, I think white women, I mean, that, that have been more so the face of mental health, right? And so when you even think about that, just from a historical perspective, and that being the image you see of mental health, then it's, it's easy to say that, okay, well, this doesn't pertain to me. You know, this isn't my concern, right? And it's so, not about you and it's not for you. Exactly. I love how you said that, especially the, the not for you. Because I think that, subconsciously, that has been ingrained in our mind, that you know mental health treatment, I mean, that, that's not for us. That leads me into just conversations about stigma as well. I know in the Black community, just from all the historical trauma and the historical, the systemic oppression that we've had to experience as a community, we have been taught to be very strong, very resilient, very resourceful. And to to be in a position where you're second guessing or you're thinking, okay, I don't feel okay mentally or emotionally, and having to confront that, that kind of goes against what we were intrinsically taught to uphold, which is that strength. And so then that could be a barrier in itself where okay. I don't seem to be functioning as well as I feel like I need to be at this moment. Does that mean that there's a personal weakness for me? Does that mean that I'm not doing something right? Does that mean that there's something wrong with me? So here it is again, like what you said, Sarah, seeing these images, you know, hearing these statements about mental health and then not not thinking that it is for you or that it pertains to you. And then here you are experiencing something that could be connected to some mental health challenges, but then kind of being uncertain as to whether or not this is what's going on because there's a lack of um, education and information about mental health in the community. So I think there's a lot, you know, that goes into that.
1: There's a lot of complex layers that have to do with historical and institutionalized racial trauma and discrimination, learning to be really strong. And I'm imagining, too, the need to present a really, quote, strong
0: front in the world. Absolutely. And I mean, that's something for me personally, I remember being in elementary school and being upset by something that happened at an afterschool program. And I started crying. And a message that was told to me was never let them see you cry. And so, even at a young age, I, I think that Black youth we're being taught to be strong. Do not, you know, allow people or the oppressors—I have my hand quotes up—to <laughs> to see you hurting or to see you in pain. I think with that, you know, it 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 really it's really hard to try to find some sort of balance between okay, I want to be strong. I want to be resilient. But at the same time I want to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and I want to be able to feel safe when I'm confronting something that is extremely uncomfortable to confront. What that
1: makes me think about Erica is that vulnerability right feeling pain feeling sadness hurting feeling scared right so feeling vulnerable in some way actually takes a tremendous amount of courage and strength to show those feelings
0: Absolutely. but
1: if you if you are living in a world where you're already starting from well well behind like the playing field isn't level and you're already starting behind the the where other folks might be starting in the privilege game, right? That, right. that, that sh- showing vulnerability c- can so easily be perceived as weakness. And it's, you don't, you can't afford, it feels like you can't afford to show that weakness f- based on your position.
0: Absolutely. It can feel that way at times. And so, you know, I, I think that's why I really enjoy having these types of conversations. One of my favorite things to do, you know, in my position as a mental health counselor is speak to black audiences about mental health, because a lot of times we just don't really know. We we haven't really been taught that. And then I always like to normalize that we all go through periods in our life where we're having challenges, where, you know, we're extremely stressed or we're experiencing some sort of depressive symptoms. And it's normal. It's, it's absolutely normal. And the way we respond is going to have such a tremendous effect, not just on us mentally and emotionally, but even physically. So it's so important that we take mental health seriously, but yeah, the vulnerability I think can definitely be a challenge as we're trying to still, navigate and figure out okay well how can i be vulnerable and strong at the same time (laughs) in a way that's gonna be safe right
1: in a way that's gonna be safe
0: right right absolutely
1: i just wanted to respond that growing up white when i would cry people would respond really positively to my vulnerability and i got that message you know like i Mm -hmm. like and that's so so different from your experience, and I imagine the experiences of many other people of color.
0: And I know for me, it was being careful where I'm crying. You know, um, if it was mixed company, is this safe? You know, <laughs> whereas if it was with my family or you know my support system, it was different. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I like how you highlighted that. You know, someone's response to your pain as a white woman may be completely different to someone's response to my pain, you know, as a black woman or a black child. So yeah, that is something. And I know even when it comes to particularly black men, a lot of times with them being told, don't cry, man up, you know, get through it. You know, those are some things too, that can make it challenging to even access mental health treatment. And I, I just think it's so important that you know we consider that. I know I worked in a setting one time before where I was working primarily with men. Most of my clients were men and I would see how let's just say a white man would come in and have an outburst and how it was automatically attributed to some sort of mental health challenges. But then a black man could come in and have a very similar outburst but the idea was, oh, he's aggressive. He needs anger management. And so even with that, you know, with Black people being perceived as angry or upset or aggressive when they're in pain, it it, it still, it kind of goes back to how we started the conversation about sometimes it's ingrained in us that mental health is not our thing. (laughs) You know, it's not something that applies to us or pertains to us. Because even the people that were there to try to help this person get connected, even they had some biases at times that served as a barrier.
1: Absolutely. And I'm just thinking, so we've been talking about, there are good reasons why there's a stigma in the black community and why there's a sense of that's not for me. I'm wondering, what are the costs Given that mental health, that Black people do have mental and emotional health needs, what are some of the costs that you have observed in others and maybe even felt yourself by not being able to notice and
0: acknowledge your mental health? The cost can be detrimental, you know, because first of all, I'll share another story. I remember one time when I was in grad school, I was going through a very stressful period in my, my life. And and during this time, my hair was falling out and I didn't know why it was falling out. I just know it was shedding profusely. So I tried different strategies. I went to the hair salon, tried to figure out what was going on from there. I tried different hair products. I even tried vitamins to try to help, right? And nothing was working. It wasn't until I got out of that stressful phase of my life that my hair just stopped falling out. At the time, I was a student majoring in mental health counseling. Even though I was learning, I I would have thought that I would have been one to just be able to recognize, like, okay. Maybe this isn't something physical that's going on. Maybe it's something emotional that you're dealing with. And from the outside looking in, I seemed okay, you know? So when I think about the cost is even for me, as someone who was in a a mental health counseling program, I still had difficulty recognizing when there was something going on mentally and emotionally. So what I'm saying is for the average person who does not have much exposure to mental health and psychoeducation the cost is that they don't recognize when there is a mental health or emotional challenge and the more that they don't recognize it or the or the more that they push it off the more likely that it's going to continue to magnify and it's going to get bigger and bigger, and it's going to manifest itself in some sort of way. So for me in my example, it manifested physically. I've seen that happen so many times where it just grows and grows and grows. And then they get to a point where it's like, they don't know what to do.
1: Right. Because we can't address what we can't acknowledge or Be aware of, and but it's going to come out some other way. It sounds like it's it it often comes out through the body, that the that the body winds up having all these symptoms of for you your hair falling out. It can I'm thinking it can be high blood pressure, heart disease, uh, panic attacks, you know I don't I we know that the body and mind are deeply connected, and so what we can't attend to from a mental health or emotional health perspective, is
0: it's going to hurt physically instead, or it's going to come out some other way. Absolutely, absolutely. And so that actually reminds me of a concept that's called the John Henryism hypothesis. Sarah, have you heard the story of John Henry?
1: I grew up listening to folk songs, so I heard it on (laughs) records that my daddy used to play. John Henry was a steel-driving man, and
0: it's a sad song. Yeah, absolutely. And so for me, I didn't hear the song. However, I know when I was in school, they used to have us watch this video about John Henry, the steel-driving man. And so the legend of John Henry goes like this, and there's different variations of the story, but... Um, The variation I'm going to share is that he was an emancipated slave who was working with a group of other men to build a railroad. And this is how these men got their livelihood. They were getting paid to build this railroad. But then a machine was built. And the inventors of the machine were saying that this machine could do all the work of the men. So therefore, their job was obsolete. So John Henry, he went on a quest to prove that he could outwork the machine, and he did. There was like this competition, this epic battle, John Henry versus the machine, and John Henry won. He outworked the machine, but it was was at such a a major cost because immediately after he fell dead, he died. And so this whole concept of John Henryism is that sometimes we can really outwork ourselves we can be so prone to mental emotional fatigue exhaustion and it can have a lot of physical effects like you were saying Sarah high blood pressure cardiovascular diseases things like that so it is something that we need to be mindful of
1: how do you think John Henryism impacts students of
0: color in college you know there's been research on that and there um when it comes to John Henry, first of all, let's look at some of the characteristics. He was persistent. You know, he had a lot of what we call grit, you know, he was very strong and he was determined. Okay. Does that sound like the average college student, the average black college student? I would say. Certainly the ones I've had the chance to interact with. Right, right. Because I mean, getting to college is such a major accomplishment and it does require some of those same skills, that determination, that grit, that hard work, you know, all of that. And so when it comes to black students, sometimes there is such a pressure, such a determination to be successful because here you are at this institution, this school of higher learning and And it's such a major accomplishment, but just to get in the door, you work your butt off just to get there. And then just to be able to to maintain and perform at a level of excellence, it requires just so much, so much. And what can happen is that you can be so focused, so determined, it can cause emotional, mental, and even physical fatigue. And you can be more susceptible to health conditions. And I've seen it even with some of the students that I've worked with.
1: For the students that are listening and wondering if this might pertain to them, what are some of the clues or first signs that you would encourage Black students to pay attention to that might indicate that maybe they have might want to think about seeking out some counseling, or maybe they want to talk to someone else who's trusted in their family, their church, their community. But regardless, like what are those first flags that might pop up to suggest like, Hey, something maybe needs your
0: attention here. That's a good question. I think it is something worth noting. I would say that number one, you know, you, we all have a baseline we are. And by baseline, what I mean is, our normal mode of functioning, our mood, you know, the types of things that we tend to do. So if you're noticing any sort of variations in that, I I would think that that would be your first sign. So for example, I would say my baseline is more of a neutral. I'm not someone that's just extremely chipper, but I'm not someone that's very low in regards to mood. So if I was to notice that I was feeling down more often, sad, anxious, If I was to notice that I was just feeling really tired, I wasn't really as interested in connecting with others or participating in hobbies. If I noticed changes in my sleep, and in my appetite, or even like the change I mentioned a few moments ago when my hair was falling out, things like that, I I would think that it might be a good time to just connect with someone and just check in on that.
1: Who are some of the people that you have found yourself reaching out to at those times, Erica, especially as your awareness of the importance of your own mental health and well-being
0: has has grown for you? So for me, my family has been a very big source of support. There are certain family members that I know I can talk to about. Anything. So those are like my go-to people. Also, for me personally, my faith is very important. Sometimes I will connect with a member in my church that is trusted, who I trust their wisdom. And I do want to say this too. Again, I'm speaking in general terms. I'm speaking just from my experience. I do know that in in the Black community, historically, um, there has been a strong spiritual connection a strong relationship to the church and i want to say that you can definitely use your faith as a way to cope and to um, work through some challenges but i do want to make sure that you know it doesn't have to be either or you can still utilize your faith and still meet with the counselor and still get mental health treatment if needed Um, because i think sometimes we feel as though okay well i'm just going to pray about it well yeah you can pray and you can get counseling so i I do think that's important to note. I
1: appreciate you saying that it makes me i can I could see them right now. I've worked with a number of black students who were deeply spiritual, and they also had experienced sexual abuse as young children. And they felt that counseling was a place to work on that trauma but they continue to rely on their spiritual supports uh, th- throughout that process. So you're right. It wasn't either, or, and there were awesome. things that, that I, myself as a counselor, who's white could help with around that, that trauma that they'd been through. But I, I, may not have been able to really connect with or help with all of the other types of racial trauma that, that comes along, uh, even, mm-hmm. even with my efforts to understand and empathize, it, it can be different to talk to a counselor who just has sh- shared those experiences with you. So you don't even have to try to explain it. It's just, it's just understood.
0: Right. Right. And, you know, I, Especially when you talk about shared experiences, you know, I think that is one of the benefits when it comes to me being a Black counselor and working with, you know, maybe a Black student who might have, I'm not even going to say might have, who who probably has (laughs) experienced some sort of of racial discrimination, um, or maybe it's something that they're dealing with now, or even just trying to learn how to adjust and connect in a society that wasn't necessarily built around them or even an educational system that wasn't built around them. And, you know, and I'm I'm not going to get political here, but I do think if we just look at the facts, if you look at just the different systems at play, the healthcare system, the education system, the banking system, the financial system, housing market, all that. Legal system. Yeah, legal. That's a big one, you know, (laughs) where there is, Oppression, you know, that is ingrained into each one of those systems. So, as a Black person, you know, dealing with that, it's not easy. And I know right now, you know, because of what's going on in the world, you know, there's this big push to wear a mask. But I remember not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading an article. And in this article, Black men were saying, I feel uncomfortable wearing a mask in a store because I'm already perceived as someone who potentially could be criminal or aggressive and I don't want that attention when I walk into a store and I have a mask on.
1: Wow. Yeah. That makes so much sense now that you're saying it. It's like you're already going through the world being perceived as potentially shady and certainly as other, right? As other. And that, that face covering that you know, we see in movies and stuff, people put on masks when they're going to rob somebody or commit a crime. Wow. That's a, as a white person that I
0: had, I never had to think about something like that. And that is so important. And so that that's the thing. So when it comes to just trying to understand the black experience, there are some things that just because of your experiences, you know, your advantages, you might not, that might not be the first thing that comes into your mind. I know even for me as a black woman, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that, (laughs) you know? Um, So I, I would say from an early age, black people are taught or have experiences that share that, or that communicate that, look, I'm not for you. You know, I know for me, a story that, you know, I share from time to time is when I was in kindergarten and I was the only black person in my kindergarten class. And one day in class, they were teaching us about individuals with disabilities. So they had a woman come in who didn't have any limbs, and she spent the day with us, and we were just, you know, learning about disabilities, things of that sort. And so after spending the entire day with us, she had two dolls a white doll and a black doll, and both dolls didn't have any limbs. And so she had me stand up as the only black person in the class holding the black doll. And she had one of my white classmates stand up and the white classmate was holding the white doll. And then we had to vote on which doll we could keep. And of course, me being the only black person in the class and most kids, they're going to want the doll that looks like them. It was decided or the kids voted that they wanted the white doll. And so for me, at five years old, standing in front of a classroom holding a doll that looks like me, and then being rejected in a sense, that was extremely hard. Erica, that is so painful. That is so
1: painful. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm imagining that Lots of people listening can relate that that have had have had very similar types of experiences. I mean that that's like a page right out of Brown versus the Board of Education, right? That, that helped desegregate schools, but that that's still happening in your lifetime and potentially in the lifetime
0: of your children. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So so it yeah, it, it was not easy at five years old and having to experience that. To me, I feel like that's something really heavy for a five-year-old to experience. And the sad part is that it doesn't stop, you know? I I can give example after example of times where in school feeling like, okay, well, this person said something that was offensive or, wow, I'm feeling like I'm being mistreated and I think my race has something to do with it. And so just kind of carrying that through even outside of school and even just in my professional life and day-to-day interactions and when i think about that particularly when it comes to mental health that's just another layer that that black people face and dealing with that dealing with you know potential micro and macro aggressions dealing with feeling like you're being mistreated or that you're not getting the same opportunities that maybe some of your white counterparts may be getting, it can definitely weigh heavily on you or even feeling unsafe to wear a mask in a store, you know, choosing between my health or my, or my safety (laughs) or, you know, and so those are things that can definitely play a role. And I think sometimes as black people, because we have kind of been born into it sometimes we we can recognize that okay this is unfair this makes me upset or i think sometimes we don't recognize just the weight of all of that and how that can even just affect our mental and our emotional functioning because like a, a fish that doesn't recognize the water
1: because it's always been there
0: right right absolutely
1: i was just i'm just thinking I'm feeling the weight right now as you share and I'm just thinking carrying all that weight all the time and really in a lot of ways just being adapted to it, but not in in a positive way, paying a high price to be adapted to it, but also having learned to have to endure these experiences and that kind of pain to pick up the phone and reach out and call a counselor or call a suicide hotline or, you know, call a stranger who chances are, is going to be a white stranger that, that, that just adds a huge barrier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah.
1: Even, even if there's a potential that that could be, that could be helpful. It, I can imagine from that place, it's really hard to imagine that it could be
0: helpful. Well, so and that's the thing. I know for me, particularly when working with my black clients, is in a lot of cases because of just those con- those concerns that you mentioned, they waited a long time before getting connected, which is like the John Henryism until you're practically dead, right? Right, right. And so. On one hand I'm just so happy that they finally decided to make that jump because it does require a lot of courage to be vulnerable and to connect and to share you know personal things especially when again um you know that that might go against that or it may seem like it's going against that personal resilience that value right of that so on one hand I'm so excited that they're doing that and then on the other hand I'm like wow I wonder The progress or where we would have been today if if that person would have came in earlier, you know, before it got to a point where where it just was overwhelming
1: and that there can be so many consequences when we put it off, you know, especially for college students like academic consequences. We've talked about health consequences, relationship consequences. Yes. That when we when we delay help seeking until it gets really, really dire, it's usually because there are a number of serious consequences that have added up. And wh- whereas uh, someone who's socialized into whiteness, right, and also socialized into mental health is for you and is about is about me, right? right? Is for me, is about me, might reach out at the very beginning. Of distress and have that early intervention, which also right. is a form of prevention, right? Absolutely. And so that that's a that's a huge factor is that things have often gotten quite quite bad,
0: right? B- before people of color reach out for help, right? Right? And one thing I'm observing, I would say probably at least for the past few years or so, I've been noticing a shift, especially amongst the the newer generations of millennials and all that in regards to a receptiveness to mental health treatment. It's actually really rewarding. I Now, you know, I'll have friends reach out to me and say, look, I'm trying to get connected to a counselor. Can you help me with this? Or there have been times I've been tagged on social media posts and, you know, where someone was looking for a counselor and they're like, okay, let's tag Erica and see if she knows anyone. And so I I see that there is a turning point, which is so amazing. And even with some of the black students that I have worked with, I know sometimes they come in and they're like, I'm not sure, you know, this is what I'm dealing with, but I don't know if I need counseling. I I don't know if if this is something I would talk to a counselor about. And I'm like, absolutely (laughs) come in. And so one thing, if if there is a black student right now or black person right now that's listening to this and they're thinking about, you know, whether or not they should contact the counselor or, or whether or not it would be helpful to contact the counselor I say, what do you have to lose? (laughs) You know, even if you wanted to just call someone and just kind of explain what's going on. Um, And then from there, you and that person can discuss some various options. I say it's a benefit, you know, go ahead and try it. I wonder with you encouraging
1: Black people, if they if they're thinking about it, that it's worth a try, right? I wonder what you might also say about if the person on the other end of the line, who may not look like them, doesn't respond in a way that it is helpful or validating. Uh, what what you might advise? So, because yeah. that can be, an, you're saying you have nothing to lose, and I really appreciate that. But I'm just I'm imagining the potential for. Just, just experiencing someone who, for whatever reason, isn't empathic, isn't understanding. That you know, we're trained to be that way, but but people are people, and it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. What would you
0: say to that person? A- absolutely. Um, and there have been times where. A person of color has called and reached out to a counselor and was disappointed by the response. So that is a very good point. What I would say is before you reach out to a counselor is do some research. So maybe that is word of mouth. Maybe you asking, you know, someone or if you don't necessarily want to do that, do a Google search. A lot of times with I'll use the um, CWC for an example. The counselors, they have bios, you know, on the page. So even if you wanted to just get an idea of who it is that you may be talking to, I think that that's important as well. And that might even lower some of that initial anxiety that you might experience. But let's just say you're in a place where you called the hotline or you called, you know, some mental health facility and you didn't really have a choice on who you spoke to and you talked to them. And it didn't seem like they were empathic and and they didn't seem like they were warm or someone who you felt like you had a connection with. I would still say that if you feel as though mental health treatment is something that might be helpful for you, I would strongly encourage you to not give up with that. Um, Try again, contact another facility. And even when you talk to that next person, you know, go in and know that when it comes to you connecting with the counselor, the relationship you have with that counselor is going to be important. So if you want to make sure that they're culturally competent, then ask them. I, I do think that this field right now, there are there aren't a lot of black counselors, unfortunately, um, we're growing. I'm seeing more and more black counselors coming out into the field. Um, But there is a good chance that you might be connected to someone who's not black. If that is the case, that person can still be helpful for you if they are culturally competent. (laughs) So you can ask them with their, of their experience. Have you ever worked with a black person? You know, if I talk to you about some of the challenges I face in, in response to my race, Do you feel as though you'd be able to empathize and connect with me? And and do you feel comfortable and competent with us discussing that? And those are some questions I would encourage you to ask.
1: Those are excellent questions, Erica, and I thank you for articulating those. I think that as as a mental health professional, on one hand, I am deeply relieved that I haven't had to endure all the painful experiences that my clients bring in personally in order to care and in order to mm-hmm. recognize how those painful experiences impact mental health. At, right. At, right. Like, because if I did have to personally have gone through all of those painful experiences, I would not be alive. I would mm-hmm. not be, have been yeah. able to survive.
0: Yeah.
1: At the same time I have heard students of color just say that, they're so used to being invalidated when they try to talk about those experiences that have to do with their race. They're so used to someone saying, well, maybe it wasn't really maybe it wasn't really that. Like maybe yeah. that person wasn't really racist, or maybe you're just right. too sensitive or something. And so Yeah, yeah right. And so Yeah, that's
0: sensitive word. That's oh, always like a, a trigger oh, for me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um,
1: of course it is. Of course. So Really seeing that first conversation or two as a chance to interview the counselor, check them out, test them, and if need be, reject them and look for someone better for you.
0: Absolutely. And I love how you worded that because, again, it's really highlighting that the client, the student, they're the ones who ultimately have the power in making that decision when it comes to what you were saying before about a lack of validation for the client and their experiences that's just so sad to me and i know it's happened i've met with with clients who've had that experience with you know some counselors and i just think that that is so unfortunate to do that however i do agree with what you said sarah where you know the first couple of sessions maybe that's you just filling out the counselor interviewing them And if it's not a good fit, then, you know, you let them go.
1: (laughs) Right. Because it's a service and they're there to serve you and and treat your needs. And if they're not going to be able to do that, right, you're, yes. And then it can be I would just add, it can be scary. I appreciate you use the word power, Erica, that Mm -hmm. to give the student the power because it can so often feel like, the counselor has the power in the relationship, right? That you go right. going to see a professional, it's on their terms, it's in their space. Right. And that really, um, that, that can be intimidating in and of itself. But, mm-hmm. but we are encouraging you to take your power back and hold on to it in that conversation and vote with your feet
0: if you need to. Right. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree.
1: I'm curious how have you've talked a lot about getting to work with students of color black students and how how did they receive you like like if they walked in and maybe you just picked them up from the lobby and they didn't know what race you were going to be
0: yeah so it's actually pretty funny to me because there have been a few times where I've um, gone into the lobby and say, I'm just going to use a fictitious name, but say there's a Brittany in the lobby. And I'm like, okay, hi, Brittany, you can come on back and have a seat. And like, they're kind of looking at me a little strange, and you know, then they'll come sit down. And you know, I go and introduce myself, you know, I'm Erica, I'm going to be working with you today. And they're like, okay, you work here? Yes, I do. Oh, so you're a counselor here yes, I'm a counselor here. And they're like, Oh my gosh, this is my first time seeing a black counselor. So a lot of times, you know, it seems like there's almost this relief where it's like, okay, wow, here I I don't have to put up all these guards or these protective measures, you know, in this session, not saying that they just come in automatically and is, you know, there's no hesitation because it's it's still weird (laughs) to talk to someone about, um, personal things, especially if that's not something you're used to. But I do find that a lot of times there are some barriers that are released or, you know, torn down a little bit just because they feel as though I can connect with them on a different level than maybe someone else could.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And so it sounds like by removing some of those initial barriers that have to do with racial differences in a lot of ways and lived, lived the difference of just the almost what you can assume is a pretty significant difference in lived experience around how people have related to you on the basis of race. If you can remove right. that barrier, you can get more to the heart of why someone is there. And because right. counseling itself is vulnerable. It's vulnerability to let another person see where you are hurting. But it, it sounds like it allows the focus to be on that rather than on all these questions about, can I even trust you enough to begin to show you where I'm in pain?
0: Right, right. I know um, I've had some Black students tell me that they felt comfortable speaking to me because they didn't think I was judging them, you know, and and going back to what you were saying before about how, you know, if someone does come in and they're talking about their experiences, maybe an experience might be okay. I, I was in class and this instructor said something and I don't know, I felt like it was it was inappropriate that there might have been some discrimination going on. It's not that sense of, are you sure you're not being sensitive or are you sure you're, you know, seeing this the correct way? It's just a sense of, look, I can just share this without fear of you invalidating my experiences. Are you judging me based on my perspective? So yeah, I, I do think that it can be helpful in that way. As a
1: way of Kind of summarizing and closing out this very important conversation, what would you, one, just do you have anything else on your mind that you want to make sure to share? And two, what would you want to close with for the student who's Black, who's maybe 18, 20, 22 years old, listening to this and thinking, gosh, maybe I could use some extra support.
0: I think that when it comes to mental health and mental health in the black community that it's important that we recognize that as black people we also deserve to take care of ourselves in all ways you know whether that's mentally emotionally spiritually physically and it is a privilege in such a great way to show yourself love by making sure that you are functioning optimally so when it comes to mental health if you are someone and you feel as though you're not performing at at your highest right now or that you're noticing that there have been some challenges that maybe you haven't even discussed it with anyone I want you to just be very clear in knowing that that doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong. It means that you're human and how you respond is really gonna be important. Think about that. Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to let fear or hesitancy keep you from connecting with a, the with a mental health provider? If you feel like that's something that could be helpful, Or are you going to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take charge of this. I'm going to connect and I'm going to do this for me. And I think it could be such a rewarding experience if you do take that step. And so even when it comes to mental health and wellness, I know from our perspective, we've been talking as counselors. So, you know, we're talking about counseling, but then also there are other ways that you can promote mental health and wellness. So that could be getting connected, with an organization, a group on campus that might be finding your support system, that could be, you know, making sure that you're getting adequate exercise and rest and practicing self care. There's so many different ways, so many different resources that are available to you, but it is up to you to find those resources. So that's what I would say. I would say that this could be such a great opportunity for you to really work towards building. Mental health and wellness.
1: Thank you, Erica. I, it's you put it so beautifully, and that's such an important message. I am thinking for students, whether they're students at the University of Florida or at other colleges. If your college or university has a counseling center, then uh, I would encourage you to think more broadly than just one-on-one counseling, which can can be really powerful. But a lot of counseling centers also have groups and they have groups for traditionally underserved populations and so those groups can become safe spaces where you can you can share those experiences and and feel understood with counselors there but also peers who have shared those experiences and can validate you as well so counseling centers t- tend to have a lot of dedication to trying to meet the needs of traditionally underserved or marginalized populations. And so even though there, there are difficulties with representation still in the mental health field, that is a value that most college counseling centers hold. And they, they really do try to have some create, creative ways of, of making safe spaces for students of
0: color to gather. Absolutely. I think that that is a great idea, definitely being open to the different mental health services available in the counseling centers and groups. They can be such rich um, places for you to grow and connect and um, really Process and work towards developing some very strong coping skills. So I completely agree, Sarah.
1: Well, thank you so much, Erica, for coming on the show and for being willing to have a difficult conversation and share some very painful experiences that you've personally been through, as well as how you how you're trying to help students make sense of navigating this challenging world. Uh, you know, as a as a person who's black. So thank you again.
0: No problem. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. For new episodes, show notes, and to leave feedback or suggestions, please visit counseling.ufl.edu slash CWC Talks.